James chapter 4 today. So find your way over to James chapter 4. Uh, as you're doing so, fights, arguments, conflicts, we, we see that everywhere. You don't have to go far to experience that. In, in the scripture, we, we see conflict between uh, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Sarah and Hagar, uh, Paul and Barnabas, right? Those guys at one point had to go separate ways. Joseph and his brothers, all because of what, a brightly colored coat? It went deeper than that. But, you know, you, you get it. Just to name a few, it's all over Scripture that we see conflict between people, between believers. Uh, today, all we have to do is, is open our eyes, right? Uh, listen with our ears, and, and, and we see that conflict is all around us between parents and, and children of all ages, between husbands and wives, between roommates and classmates and coworkers and teammates and Right? Or, or with some troll on the internet that for some reason you responded to and you don't know why and you completely regret it. Uh, right? It's, it's everywhere. It's over politics and money and, and ethics and sports and parking spaces and dirty dishes if you've ever had a roommate for sure. Um, but what about you? This is where I really want you to think this morning for a minute. Before we read, just, just to think, what was the most recent conflict in your life with someone? Right? Either most recent or the most memorable. See a few husbands and wives looking at each other. They clearly have something in mind. Uh, and, and you think about what, what was it, right? Maybe there was an argument. Maybe you've been giving someone the cold shoulder because of, you know, this issue. Maybe you've just been talking trash about them behind their back to someone else that you're, you're angry at, right? What was the reason for this conflict? That's the question I want you to think. What is the reason this conflict happened? Okay? Now, I want you to keep your answer in mind a bit today because that's really the introspective question that James is going to begin with, that he leads off with in, in our passage today in James chapter 4. Uh, let's just, we'll read that, let's read that, we'll read what he does, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he, he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, no matter our age, no matter our stage of life, we, we know far well, too well the tendency to quarrel. And so help us in your word this morning to, to understand what, what is the heart of the issue of conflict. And show us how to change, how to deal with this, how, how to respond to, to this reality, how to find more friendship with you, more prayer in life, more satisfaction in you. And so once again, we, we ask you to enlighten our minds and open our hearts for your word this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we kind of have to understand, if we're going to understand this passage, is that James is not just writing to anyone, right? 
I, I talked about conflict in the world, and it, and it is, it's everywhere, but he's writing specifically to the church of Christ. He is writing to Christians, and he makes a point of that right off the bat with that phrase, right, among you. What causes quarrels and fights among you? That's where his main concern is, how do we as Christians actually get along or fail to get along? And James is, right, so, so between, because we are this united body of Christ, and it, it means something there. Now, this also means for us something that's kind of encouraging in a weird way. Uh, it means that first century Christians, just like 21st century Christians, just like you and I, experience conflict with each other. When we view the first century church and think, oh, they must have just been perfect, right? Acts, they shared everything. They had everything in common, right? We kind of sometimes think they were these perfect examples of, of, of perfection. That's not it. They're wonderful examples that we see of, of God's people learning to walk with the Lord in a, in a right way, but they are sinners too, and, and they need the Lord in the same way that you and I do. Uh, so anyway, in your mind right now are your, your this thoughts, right, this most recent conflict. And, and be honest, if you're willing to just throw your hand up, own it for a moment, uh, is the reason for your conflict, most recent conflict, the other person? They were unreasonable, right? Is it, is it something they said is it something they did? Is it something they should have done and should have known to do, but they didn't do? Right? Something that maybe it's just them being who they are. That's the problem. They're who they are. Right? You ever confront two children that are fighting uh, over a toy and, you're, and you get in there, why are you fighting over a toy? Or what's wrong with you? Whatever it is you actually say to them. And, and, and they give you the answer. Right? They, they, maybe they say, well, you know, I think my passions are at war within me. That's probably what it is. No. Never in the history of the world has any child responded like that. They say, she took my toy. She, meanwhile, there's like 15 of the same toy right behind them, right? Uh, you took my toy. And, and we're all like that. We, we want to give surface reasons. <clears throat> and James isn't going to let us do that. He is digging right down to the root of the issue right here. James is showing us that, that, that almost always it is internal conflict. It is me that leads to external conflict with others. That there is a, an owning up to it that is absolutely necessary, right? Uh, drawing from, from our passage last week, right? My jealousy, my selfish ambition, my, my love of me, my love of my stuff or just stuff that I want to be mine, right? That, that's the problem. In regards to, to conflict, James wants you and I to actually, like Taylor, right, say it, it just admit, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. <laughs> Shaking your head at me, right? That, that's the idea, that's maybe the best line she's ever written because it, it tells you to like own up to this. In, in, in my Bible, I actually went through and I under, underlined in red all the word you in those first three, three verses there. Uh, and I, I did so because they signify the need for me to take ownership of the conflict that I have with others. All that I want to push off on someone else to just take ownership of it. Uh, it you know, even, even when, when, right, the first thing you want to say is the other person's unreasonable, so now I don't have to take ownership. Well, even, even then. And, and so then he summarizes this, this in the answer of what causes conflict among us when he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, in regard to the English, the word passion, singular, and passions, plural, they, they connotate very different ideas here. To, um, 24 years ago, I, I attended what was called the Passion Conference. It was not the Passions Conference. Uh, it was singular, and the idea was uh, they were calling college students at this time to, to make God your one singular passion. That was the idea. But passions, on the other hand, like we see here uh, in the plural, right? It, it's all these things that we, we tend to look to, that we, we hope in, that we think this will give me satisfaction, this is where real meaning is, and, and all the things other than God's that we're gonna, God that we're going to throw into that. 
Now the word passions here in, in the Greek is, is from this word hedon. Maybe you recognize it from an English word, hedonism. You know that one, the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the idea here. In, in other words, all the conflict you have is because you have elevated things that you want above God. That's what James is getting at. You, you might say our, our passions are all the little idols, the things that we love and we serve and we bow down, down, bow down to in, in worship. And, and, and James gives two generalized examples in verse 2, right? Have a look. Uh, you desire and you do not have, right? Something that you want and so you, you murder. You, you covet and cannot obtain and so you fight and you quarrel. Is, is that what's true of that most recent, <clears throat> most memorable conflict in your mind right now? That there's something that you want to possess. Maybe you want more money. Maybe it's more power. Maybe it's something less tangible like attention or love or respect or recognition. You, you want to get revenge on someone for the way they hurt you. You, you want to be free from, from someone correcting you and criticizing you in a way that you just don't want to listen to. When, when God doesn't give you what you want, do you figure out a way to go and try and take it anyway? And I, I know that James says here, just kind of mention this, right? He says you murder, and I hope most of you are like, I don't, that's not what I do. I don't murder people for not giving me what I want, right? But understand, James is here, uh, he, he's referencing back to the Lord's Sermon on the Mount again. He, we saw it last week in, in two of the, the lines. Uh, when, when Jesus here is, is referencing, the, when, when Jesus talks about equating being angry with your brother with the murder of your brother, right? It's, it's, it's in your heart aspect here. Um, so then we, we might assume that the solution to these passions at war within us, this is where we tend to go, is I will just suppress my passions. I will suppress whatever I desire. I will just pretend it doesn't exist and just, just bury it under something. Only James doesn't say that, does he, here? Uh, that's where our head goes. That's not where James and the Word of God right here does. He, <clears throat> so you need to understand that having desires is not evil. There are evil desires. There certainly are, right? De desiring someone who isn't your spouse, that's an evil desire. But desiring to, to have a child, that's not evil. Desiring respect, uh, desiring a, a raise or a car that better fits you, uh, your needs, those aren't evil desires in and of themselves. I mean, all of them can become evil desires if they become an idol, something that you value more than Jesus, or when you desire something so much that you're willing to sin to actually obtain that, that, that becomes an evil desire in that sense, right? <clears throat> Anything you might do, even, even if it's, I will verbally assault this person to, to get what I want. They stand in my way. That's an evil desire. That it's become an evil desire. But, but anyway, suppressing only cuts off the top of the weed. It's, it's like those, oh, I can't call dandelion weeds anymore, right? Because it's the, the army kid thing. Anyway, a weed but not a dandelion, you cut off the top, the rest of it's just going to grow back um, if you don't get to the root. And that's where J James is going. And, and yet, it's kind of unexpected here when, when James uh, instead says at the end of verse 3, right, instead of suppress all these things, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Right? And some of you snarky, right? Oh, it's that simple? You just ask? God, I would like an uh, Apple Watch Ultra now, please. And you and I know, you, we both know, you know, well, God is not the genie in the lamp. He's not here just granting anything you can conjure up that you desire in your mind. That's, that's not how prayer works. And in and, and James's words here, right, we, we see this really deep, uh, kind of ingenious understanding of our hearts. His, because his words are, are leading us to, to ask another question, right? Okay, if I haven't prayed about this thing to God, 
If I haven't asked him for it, if I haven't spoken to him, why did I not ask God about this? And then you've got to dig into those reasons, right? Is it, is it because deep down I know that I really don't need what I'm asking for? It's really not something I should be asking for? Is it because you, you don't believe that, you know, Jesus, when he said in, <clears throat> in Matthew 7:11 that our, our Heavenly Father gives us good things if we ask him? Do you not believe God will give you good things so you don't bother asking? Do, do you find yourself acting like Eve in the garden, right? If, if God will not give me what I want, I will just go take it. And since I think he probably won't, I will just go take it to begin with. But you know, as Sam Albury says, he says, prayerlessness is a sign that someone is trying to run things in their own strength, for their own sake, and under their own authority. He goes on, prayerlessness arises from a sense of independence from God, so that instead of praying about our desires, we indulge them. Rather than trusting in the Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, we ourselves decide what is good and seek to gain it through our own efforts. I mean, really, if you're, if you're just brutally honest with yourself for a moment, when you don't ask God for things in prayer, why is it? Right? Do you believe that, that we don't need God for what we're trying to accomplish? <clears throat> I think that's a really common thing now. It's easy for us to do in this modern age, right? Because if you want an omelet, none of you, I promise, are praying, God, give me an omelet. You're just going to crack a few eggs and make an omelet. You're going to make it on your own. And we don't think twice about that, and that's fine. I'm not saying you need to pray for the omelet necessarily here, but, but how much of every other desire in your life do you treat the same way as if it was just making an omelet? Last week, we, we learned about seeking wisdom uh, from above, right? And, and don't raise your hand here, but after learning to ask God for wisdom and, and parenting and, and marriage and relationships and school and work and all these things, did, did you actually talk to God in prayer this week at, at all? Right? Or was it just information that goes in and you walk out and you never thought about it again? Did, did you ask God for, for wisdom in anything this week? Was it, was it something that became practical and real in your life? And if, if not, I don't say this to shame you, right? I, I want you thinking about this, but not to shame you. And, and, and I say that, right, if you didn't, I doubt it was because you, you intentionally thought, you know what, God, I don't need you. I'm a strong, independent. No, you just, you, it's not the way you thought. I, I expect you just didn't think about God. You just went about your business and simply didn't think about God. And that's, that's kind of James's point here. We're, we're not thinking about God. We're, we're thinking only about ourselves and our desires. That, but, but listen, Christian, you are united to Jesus United to Jesus, selfish is not who you are anymore. And so think about that most recent conflict again. What, what does it reveal about your heart? Right? What would happen if you'd stopped and prayed to God and just asked, why? Why am I so mad about this? Why do I hate this person right now? Right? What, what am I wanting here? What am I afraid of in this moment? In verse 3, James says there is a wrong way to pray, and that kind of unsettles us a little bit. There are wrong things to ask God for, or wrong reasons that we ask for good things even. And if that's the case, that's, that's maybe why God didn't give you what you asked for. We don't like that. That's uncomfortable. But listen, we will all to some degree have mixed motives in our prayers, so that's, that's true. I don't know that we ever pray with an absolutely pure motive, or rarely at least. Uh, but some of our motives are just not godly at all. God, uh, please make me a gifted musician. Nothing wrong with that. 
so I can be famous, right? Now you start to see that's a little different. You know, God, God, give me a position of power here, right? Not so I can have this godly influence over this organization or what it might be, but because I hate submitting to people. I want to be in charge. And, and you begin to start to get the idea then, right? There are wrong motives here. And, and, and so we need, to stop, we need to stop treating God like he's Amazon.com. God, here's what I want, and I expect it delivered within two days. As if, you know, you have prayer prime or something like that. Now, maybe we've been missing that the bigger purpose of prayer, not the only purpose of prayer, petitioning, pleading with the Lord, absolutely a part of our prayer, but, but there is a big part of our prayer that is not to persuade God of what we want, but, but more of a, a means by which we align our priorities to God's priorities. When, when we pray rightly, we are rekindling or reminding ourselves of, of what God is like, who He is. We are reminding ourselves of what God wants, what he wants for our life, all that good stuff that he desires for us, we are reminding ourselves. And, and so our prayers be, become more powerful, more meaningful when we go to God, you know, submissively asking God to, to change our desires so they do correspond with his will. On top of asking him for what it is you, you do desire, right? I'm not saying that's wrong, but, but to bring our, our views in line with him. And, and that's why Jesus in John 15, 7, remember he includes these conditions in prayers. We sometimes forget these conditions. Uh, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, right? That remaining um, in union together. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, right? But that abiding is going to shape the things we ask for, how we ask. We, we see another example in 1 John 5, uh, 14 and 15 when we read, and this is the confidence that we have towards God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It goes on to say, you, you have that. You have what you ask for. So now I want you to look at verse 4. This one feels a little awkward, uh, particularly on the tail end of last week in James 3, where he's talking about the wise person, right? The wisdom from above. They're gentle and, um, and they're peaceable and, and all that stuff. And, and now he says, you know what? I, I, I know what your, your problem is. Uh, I, I can tell you why you have so much conflict and what's going on in your heart, why, why you haven't found yourself engaged with God in prayer. Let me give you the answer. It is because you adulterous people. You're like, James, did you, chapter 3, dude, go back. Uh, right, it sounds harsh, but remember, James knows these people he's writing to. These aren't just strangers on the street that he's, he's yelling at. Uh, and, and when you know, when, when there's closeness in a relationship, you know that. Some of your best friends, right? You can say things that are incredibly blunt that someone else overhears and like, did you really just say that to them? Uh, and, and, but it's not received mean-spirited because someone knows your heart and knows it's not mean-spirited. So yes, this is incredibly blunt, but it's not mean-spirited when he's saying this. And, and James is here, he's, he's using language from the Old Testament prophets, and that's, that's intentional. He wants to bring this, these really strong words in. Um, you see, in, in the Old Testament, uh, often the relationship between God and his, his chosen people, right, Israel, was described in terms of this marriage covenant uh, with God the groom and, and, and Israel as, as, as the, the bride. It's an image that's used in the New Testament as well, right? Ephesians 5 describes you and I, the church, yeah, you and I, even men, right, that we are the bride of Christ, and Christ is our, our groom. And, and with that marriage analogy in, in mind, right, the, the prophet Jeremiah and others as well, right, they... They, they call the spiritual unfaithfulness of Israel, they refer to it as adultery. That you are, are cheating on the Lord. They even throw out some more awkward sounding words. Anyway, the, the, the prophets do this often. And so James is explaining this, 
I hate to call it a love triangle, but you know, for your understanding, we'll call it that. Uh, what we may find ourselves in, right? That that here, here, your understanding, God is your your spouse, right? You you've made a commitment. He has a commitment to you. You've made these these vows of faithfulness, and, and, and God has provided you with forgiveness and, and his righteousness, and everything that you really need to be satisfied, he has loved you perfectly. Uh, there is no, no greater groom in the world, that's not the problem, but, but now you've gotten to know the world, and you find the world kind of cute, quite attractive. You're, you're spending more time in the company of the world, you want to spend more time in the company of the world, and and before you know it, one thing leads to another, and you have wandered away from God and into the, the arms of the world. <clears throat> and you're comfortable there, right? But the reality is you're, you're cheating on God. And the next thing you know, you don't even live in the same house as God anymore, <clears throat> and you're actually against God. You see him as an enemy that you're mad at, against. And, and, and James is using this, this really strong language of adultery for the same reason that the prophets did, right? Because he wants to convey as strongly as possible to you and I, because we tend to just kind of shrug it off, convey to us <clears throat> that uh, how awful forsaking God for the world actually is. But you kind of feel it. It's not a small thing. It's a large thing. And, and so the adultery label at the start of verse 4 then, right, kind of makes the friendship label that follows seem a little strange. Because the friendship label doesn't seem to rack it up like, oh, you're you're committing adultery with the world and you have friendship with the world, right? It doesn't go that way. James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And the reason that all feels so weird is that in our culture, we use this word friend so incredibly lightly. Um, <clears throat> you have friends on Facebook, right? Uh, friends who you maybe might remember kind of possibly went to high school with, but you're not 100% sure about that even. Right? Or, or you have friends in your life, say, you know, Betty, and you've talked to Betty three or four times, and, uh, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm friends with Betty. Like, I know her name. I'd probably recognize her. We, we say friend when we really mean acquaintance. I've met that person maybe twice. They would acknowledge me if we were in a foreign country together. Uh, but in the culture that James is writing this to, friendship meant a, a sacred, like a, a shared mindset, a shared worldview, the shared interest, um, goals, values, uh, shared resources, and care for one another. It's, it's a much deeper relationship. And, and the simple terms that we use today, it's a lot closer to saying, oh yeah, <clears throat> that person is one of my very best friends. Right? That, that's the idea of friendship here. James, James's point then is that they, and, and maybe you and I, have become more committed to the world than we have to God. Now, that's the heart of this question. And it's it's one, if you let yourself think about, really, right, becomes a tough question. Like, have you? Have you? Are you closer friends with the world than you are with, with God right now? It, I mean, it, it's easy to do because we, we, we think we can be committed to a relationship with God and the world. Why not? I have two friends in the world. Why can't I have this, right? When, when, when we read about the Israelites, we, we don't see them intending to worship the pagan gods only, though, do we? They just kind of want to add them in. I'm... God, I'm totally going to be committed to you and Baal, right? Uh, I want to bring them in. They, they don't plan to get rid of God, but they want the benefit of both. And James's simple, super simple point is you can't do that with God, right? When, when you came to faith in Jesus, you entered into this marriage-like covenant, uh, you know, and those of you who are married, right, you wouldn't be okay if your spouse is 
you know, ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, abusive, you know, ex-spouse decided to climb into bed? No, I don't want you to leave. It's fine. They're just coming in too, right? You'd be incredibly jealous and angry and rightfully so, and it all makes sense when you see it that way, right? Which, which we're going to see in, in verse 5, right? We're going to see that jealousy aspect, but, but let's talk a bit more about this friendship with the world part. And, and first of all, this doesn't mean you can't be uh, friends with unbelievers. That's not what this is saying. It, it doesn't say uh, you shouldn't show kindness and, and concern. You certainly can and uh, get to know believers, right? That is one of the ways we get to know them and get to share the gospel, and, 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 and that's good. But there will always be limits and risk in that relationship that you have uh, because you don't have the same values. You don't have the same goals with someone who isn't united to Jesus by grace through faith. Um, <clears throat> but to stay within James's point here, I just set it as a side, right? It's not friendship with the people in the world that he's talking about. It's friendship with the world. He's talking about the values of the world. As we're instructed, right? 1 John uh, 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. So then how do we know? How do, how do you know if you are loving the world more than you are loving God right now? And you might, you might just begin with, with pondering this, this question, right? Do I, do I long for, do I chase after the very same things that the unbelievers around me are longing for and chasing after? Is that, is that where I'm at? More, more specifically, right? Worldly values are, are based on material possessions. It's a lot about stuff that we can have and collect and own, right? It's, it's, it's like the, the selfish ambition and the, and the bitter jealousy we saw last week, right? Worldly values are all about power, obtaining it, and prestige, and personal success, is, you know. And, and personal success defined by whatever the current culture wants to say personal success is. Uh, and, and today, that, that means something like, right, pursuing lots of money and, and being ungenerous with the money that, that the Lord gives you. It, it means luxury items and big houses and fancy cars and the newest technology and vacation in paradise as often as possible. Those aren't evil things. I'm not saying that, right? But that becomes the goal if that's the pursuit. You know, w- worldly values today are, are this external validation that we all tend to fall into. I need someone to acknowledge me that I am somehow unique and successful at, at, at what I'm doing, right? And it might be fame or, or influence. It might be just attaining the highest possession, position in your field. It might be an unhealthy obsession with, with beauty and, and others desiring you in that way. It's a relentless escape into entertainment and, and, and that if you're honest, right, <clears throat> we don't like to do this, uh, right, but you might find the amount of entertainment you're pursuing or the type of entertainment you're pursuing just draws you away from your love of God. And I just mean in the sense that little by little, God feels faker and faker and whatever is your entertainment source becomes realer and realer in your life. These worldly ideas, right? It's the pride and personal autonomy. It's, it's letting the media and politics and the majority opinion or, or even your own fickle heart decide what's right and wrong in the world and instead of acknowledging that, that God is an authority over us as our creator, that his revealed word, right, is, a, is where we, we find the authority that, that determines what is ethically right and wrong. All, the, all this is friendship with the world. And all this is in stark contrast to the friendship that we can have with God. If you've been with us for a while in James, right? Back in James 2.23, you remember we kind of passed over it, didn't think much about it, but Abraham was called a friend of God. Are you a friend of God? 
And, and the evidence for him being a friend of God is, is that his faith was, was active, it was alive, that his love for, for God was observable. These worldly values are in such contrast to, to valuing God's reputation, valuing serving to others, holding on to money lightly and with generous hearts, and you know, values that are, are grounded in, in the Scripture. And, and James has, has really pushed you and I to admit that there is no middle ground. I can't love both. We, we cannot love God and love the world. This doesn't mean you can't enjoy so many good gifts of God in this world. It, it doesn't mean you can in, can't enjoy all kinds of things, right? You can be grateful for the pleasures that you have in life. You should be. Tacos are delicious. You should not be ashamed for loving tacos or even wanting one for lunch today, right? Movie and, and music can be enjoyed to the glory of God. Yes, even music and movies that are not labeled Christian. But we must be wise in this regard. We, we must have discernment in this regard. And I, I, I challenge you to, to be honest about where you are right now in that. Do, do you prefer movies and video games and sports and music and TikTok more than you prefer God? And I know, we're like, no, of course not, right? I mean, but maybe, maybe you do. Could, could you admit that if it were true? And, and here's the dagger, right? Are, are you finding time to watch the NBA playoffs or, or to watch a new movie or catch up on social media and, and yet find yourself saying on a regular basis, I just don't have time to read my Bible. I just don't have time to pray. I don't have time to, to, to come to that Bible study that's going on and gather with people and worship God because I have all this other stuff I have to do. And yet those are the kind of things you do find time for. And I know this is a heavy guilt, right? You're like, oh, here comes the shame. Thanks, dude. Right? Um, yeah, it's, it's okay. We can feel the shame, but we don't live in the shame. All right? That, that's, th this is how we, you know, the Scripture works. It convicts us. It shows us what we, right, when we compare ourselves to what we, we see in Scripture, it does convict us, and we feel that shame, and, and yet it shows us the way back to, to true joy in Christ, and we'll see that here. But now, you know, verse 5, right, to come back to that jealousy thing, it says, do you suppose it is of no purpose that the Scripture says he, he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Um, this is not a quote from any passage of Scripture. It's a summary that he's making of what the Scripture teaches. It's a, uh, a summary about the, the jealousy of God for your soul, for your love, for your affection. Um, and, and so maybe this morning you've, you've awakened to the truth that you've been unfaithful to the Lord, right? To some degree, anyway. And, and you're wondering, is, is there hope for me? If this is true... If I have cheated on God and I am an adulterer, is there forgiveness to be had? Is there actual restoration that can be had? And, and there is. I mean, don't, don't read this and think that typical idea, don't, don't view God in our, our humanly idea of a jealous husband, right? Who goes after the guy, let's just think of it that way, just to put it simply, right? But also lashes out against his unfaithful wife. As David Gibson says, he says, this is not the language of rejection, which is what adultery rightly deserves, but the language of jealous love finding a way to make the relationship whole again. And we know, if you spend any time in the Scriptures, you know this is how God is. We know this unequivocally from the cross, if nowhere else, right? And you can't miss God's invitation back in verse 6, right? We're going to cover this whole verse next week, but just... Just today, I want you to take in those first five words. This is, this is one of those. I've always thought it'd be fun to do a sermon, street, uh, sermon series on, on the, the butts of Scripture, B-U-T. 
uh, right? Because this is one of them right here. Uh, have a look. But he, God, but he gives more grace. Right? That's one of those tattoo-worthy verses, right? You, you, you getting what he's saying here? That, that God finds you in bed with the world and remarkably, he's not only willing to take you back, God wants you back so that you can enjoy all the blessings of life in him. Only God's like that. That James is, is speaking to Christians who already know, so he doesn't explain the incarnation, he doesn't explain the cross or the resurrection, but, but this is the gospel, plain and simple right here. There is, there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. So what are the, the takeaways here? There's three short ones. First, n- next time you're in conflict with someone, particularly a fellow Christian, Examine your own heart. Are, are you trusting God in this moment? Right? Can, can you in good conscience pray in this moment for what it is you actually desire? Whatever it is the two of you are butting heads over or fighting over. The second is this. Bear your soul to yourself and to God. We, we sometimes don't do that enough. We even hide from ourselves. Right? So to what degree and in what ways are you developing a deep friendship with the world right now? Or have you developed that? Can, can you honestly say that, that you're faithful to the Lord? And finally, if your faith is in, in Jesus, you belong to God. If you have been unfaithful, repent and return to the open arms of the Lord. And, and here, that, that, that's, that means it's time to reevaluate your friendship with the world. And again, this is not one of those, I'm not saying go crazy fundamentalists here. It's not... No movies, no dancing, nothing like that, right? Just reevaluate the things that are, we're consuming to, to reprioritize our, our covenant marriage with the Lord. And, and don't be discouraged for while you do need more grace, that part is true. Like I said, right, if your faith is in Christ, you are God's. And, and so to you, He gives more grace. To the church, to His bride, to, to you, He gives more grace. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we don't, we don't want to be dissatisfied in God and you. We, we don't want to be entitled. And we don't want to quarrel and, and covet. We, we, we want friendship with, with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we want satisfaction in you. And so we need more grace. So my prayer this morning is that if conviction is needed, that you would bring about conviction in our hearts. But if change is needed, that you would empower us to, to, to seek that change even beyond just this moment. Um, we ask you to give us so much satisfaction in, in you that, that the war within us will, will come to a time of peace. We pray this all in, in Christ's name. Amen.